I spent the last uh, week in Pittsburgh, which, you know, for those of you that hate the Steelers and hate the Pirates, you know, um, that probably doesn't excite you a whole lot. But, uh, but my mother uh, had, was having knee replacement surgery, and both of my sisters had planned vacations at the time. Of, she had gotten an infection. Uh, she had some dental work done and gotten some infection, and they wouldn't do the surgery on her until she healed from that dental infection. So they postponed her surgery right in the smack of my sis one sister's cruise and my other sister's camping trip. And so my mom was going to postpone the surgery, and I said, no, 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 I'll come out. I'll take a week's vacation, and I'll come out and help you with, you know, re recovering from your surgery. By the way, I am amazed at how quickly people walk after that surgery. I am just amazed. My mother was walking the same day that she had the surgery. Now, she was in a lot of pain, but she was walking, you know. I just was amazed. Well, while I was in Pittsburgh, uh, my mother had a couple of jobs for me. And one of them was, see, I don't know if you realize this, when I went away to school in 1980, I graduated from high school, went away to college, I never moved back home. I left, and when I got out of college, I moved back to this area and started a job in this area, and I never moved back home. So there were still some boxes of stuff that were mine at my mother's house that she had tucked away in a little cubby hole in her house. So she had me go up there and root through that. And most of it, I mean, if you haven't looked at it since 1980, throw it out, okay? I'm not going to even miss it, you know? But, uh, it, but it was cool looking through it. And one of the things that I found was a speech that I had to write for a high school's public speaking class. And it was a process speech. You know what a process speech is? It's a how-to speech, okay? And this is what mine was entitled, How to Irritate Your Sisters. <laughs> what a great speech. I started looking through it, and I'll, I'll read just a little bit of it. First step, you step on your sister's foot so that she can't move at all. Then you read your sister's diary, and you mention key entries when your friends come over to swim. <laughs> then you hide her bike so that she can't follow you down the street. Then you write, Bonnie is a brat doll and a green witch on her chalkboard in her bedroom. Then you change the TV station during a commercial while she is in the bathroom. And this is my favorite. When she goes to take a shower, you flush the toilets. <laughs> All of them. All of the toilets. I can sometimes still be a bit of a nudge. Uh, Tyler tells me all the time that I embarrass him. One of the things that he does not want me to do publicly is to dance, right. So I frequently get my dancing groove on just to irritate him. I especially like to do this in the car when I'm coming to pick him up at the high school or to drop him off. And he just gets so mad at me. There are just some times that it's so much fun to be irritating, isn't it? When I was going down memory lane last, uh, last week, I also came across some old report cards. Now, I knew I didn't have the best grades in high school, but I've forgotten how really bad they were. And here I am, an educator. That's what really makes this really funny. My lowest grades were in junior high school were in social studies. They taught us geography then, okay? They were really bad. And in art class, that's, those were my lowest grades. Then I looked at my high school report cards, and um, they were not good, especially in the area of mathematics. I actually failed Algebra two twice in high school. I mean, the whole year, not just like a marking period. I failed it my, my junior year of high school, so I repeated it my senior year and failed it again my senior year. Luckily, you only needed two maths when I graduated to get out of high school, or I would still be there. <laughs> now, what's really funny about all this is that I'm actually licensed to teach math up to the eighth grade. <laughs> it is up to eighth grade. I, I, am, I am licensed to teach math, which would include algebra, okay? Uh, but now it would be a frightening thing for me. You know, my, I, have a K, I, have a, I have a secondary 
English certification, 7 through 12, I can teach English. I'm good at that stuff, okay? But then I have a K through 8 elementary certificate where I can teach really any content up through the 8th grade. Now, the sad thing is, is whoever was in my math class, they'd be teaching me. I wouldn't be teaching them. Trust me. Now, as I looked at all my stuff from, from high school, I had a sudden flash of clarity and profound deep thought. Aren't you glad that what happened in the past doesn't have to mark us forever? What we did as kids doesn't have to define and dictate who we will be or who we will become. In fact, even what we've done as adults doesn't have to be our tragic flaw that is our defining characteristic even as adults. We Isn't that awesome? We can change. We can choose to overcome our pasts and be different people. As we come to Philippians 4, 10 through 13, we will see that Paul learned a few things over the years as well. Follow along as I read. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Paul was kind of a driven person. Prior to his becoming a Christian, he was a Pharisee, a Jew, and he was driven. I mean, he just had so much zeal, he hunted down Christians to murder them. That was his goal, because they considered the Christian sect, and they really considered it another branch of Judaism for a while. They just considered it blasphemous, and they were really trying to hunt those folks down, and he did it with zeal and intensity. And he, so he... Uh, you know, you have to understand he was a learned man. He understood things. He was a, a, a driven person. And to see that he has these passages here where he's learned to find contentment later in his life when he's become a Christian and he's done some pretty amazing things and some pretty scary things to say, see that he found contentment. So we're going to be looking a little bit at uh, how do you find contentment? How do you be content? And I'm really amazed because in these, there's a couple of passages here, and I want to underscore something. I actually have them in red ink so that you'll notice them. But being content is something that's not part of our DNA. It's something we have to learn. We have to be schooled in it. We have to learn it. It's a learning process. It's not something that is just part of our DNA. It's just not something like eating that comes naturally for us. Something we have to learn. Notice what Paul says here. Verse 11. For I have learned to be content. I've learned it. Uh, Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. So we're going to find out a little bit more about learning to be content. Even the Apostle Paul had to learn to be content. If cultivate is going to add contentment to what defines us as a group of believers in this area, that it's going to be part of our mantra of deep roots and rich fruit, then we're going to have to grow in this area. Just like Paul, we need to learn a few things. Before we look at how we become more content, let's uh, give ourselves a pretest. I'm I'm an educator, and this whole little lesson here is centered around the idea of it being a curriculum. We're going to take four classes in contentment, and at the end of the service, we're going to graduate, hopefully, okay? So one of the things that we do as teachers to find out how much students might know about a content before they actually actually dive into it is we do a pretest. We call it activating prior knowledge, okay? That's an educational speakeasy uh, that we use, and so sometimes it's just a little survey. We want to see what they know about it. And if you were giving yourself a grade right now on your knowledge and level of being content, what kind kind of grade would you give yourself? 
perhaps you'd use this scale that's up on the screen now. A, you're extremely content. You can get a grade of A. A B, you're mostly content. C, you're somewhat content. D, you're most, mostly discontent. And F, you're very discontent. Now, if God were grading you, now first you pick a grade for yourself. You don't have to shout it out. Nobody needs to know about it. Now, if God were grading you, what grade would God give you in this area? What would he give you right now? Don't tell anyone your grade, but keep these grades in mind. As we, and we'll come back to it a little bit later as we work through our curriculum of contentment. It's not easy to become content. It's amazing to me that Paul was one of the most learned men of his day, and yet he had to learn how to be satisfied. Using Paul's words in Philippians 4, 10 through, 10 through 14 as our backdrop, let's take a look at our four courses that Paul would have us master in his curriculum of contentment. Contentment course 101. Knowing that God is in control. That's course number one. To think of all the hardship that Paul endured in his life, it's hard for me to understand how he found contentment. Look at this one passage. I've highlighted some few, few things there for you. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again, Five times I received the, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I don't know if you understand that, but they would, they would whip him. They would use a whip, okay? And he was allowed to receive 40 lashes by law. So the Jew, if they went over that, they were in trouble. They broke the law. So what they would do is they would give him 40 lashes minus one just in case they miscounted along the way, okay? So it was 40 three times he got, he got that. Now, there was one time he was beaten with rods. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked. Spent a day in the open ocean. He's constantly on the move. Been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from his fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers, labored and toiled, often gone without sleep, known hunger and thirst, gone without food, been cold and naked. Now, that's a long list of travails he had to go through. And I have to tell you, I would have quit long before that. I would have quit on the, on the 30, 39 lashes. Okay, you beat it out of me. Okay, I'm done. You beat it out of me. But look what all he endured. And he still finds contentment. How? Let's find out. When we get to Philippians 4, Paul's in prison chained to guards, and once again, he can't help but break into rejoicing. Look at the first part in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. All these things that have happened to him, now he's in jail, he's in prison, and what's his first thing he says? I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Paul has great joy because he passed the first class called Contentment Course 101, being confident that God is in control. I found a wonderful definition of Christian contentment on the Internet. An inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. I love that Paul rejoices in the Lord. Everything is under God's eyes and and hands, and we find delight in every condition. Probably the best example of this in the life is in the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. Way back in Genesis 5, verse 20. If you don't remember the story, Joseph had 11 brothers, and they were all a little jealous of him because he was favored by their father. And so, to make a long story short, they were sick of him. They beat him up. They threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery and told their dad that he'd been killed by a wild animal. A lot of years go by. A lot of years go by. And all of a sudden, Joseph is reunited with his family because they have come to Egypt where Jacob has risen to being second in command of this country because there's this famine. And Joseph had these great big dreams of how they could endure this famine. And Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to get food because Egypt's one of the few places around that has enough food. And Joseph meets his brothers and he says this to them. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
That's a cool verse to me. Because all these bad things that happened to Joseph and all this life that he had to live, God was in control. God was leading him down that path. And sometimes we can't see that because we're so short-sighted. And we can't see what God has prepared for us, but we have to endure what we're enduring now to get there. He understood that God was behind everything, and he was working out his purposes, even in the midst of all of Joseph's problems. There's been a lot of world disasters in, the last, in this last year. The earthquake in Japan that caused tsunamis with thousands of lives lost. There's a picture up there on the screen of that, that tsunami coming across one of Japan's roads. This year in the U.S., as of July 4th, there have been 1,613 tornadoes reported in the U.S., between April 25th and 28th, a historic tornado outbreak, now now as the 2011 super outbreak, took place across much of the southern United States, as well as parts of the Midwest and Northeast. During that week, there were over 300 confirmed tornadoes and 322 tornadic fatalities. There's a, there's a map up there. There were two maps. The previous one showed all the tornadoes from January to April, and then this was that weekend, that week of April 27th, all the tornadoes that touched down in the U.S. The outbreak ranks as one of the worst in U.S. history. Another disaster that happened recently was that freak earthquake that happened in Haiti. Was it last year or the year before? I mean, you just don't think of Haiti as having earthquakes, do you? I mean, you think of California, you think of the Pacific Rim, but you don't think of Haiti having a devastating earthquake. And I have to tell you, it's hard to be content And if, when all those disasters are going on. It makes you worry, doesn't it? I'm worried about these things. What's going to happen next? And it's hard to be content if we had to live through those disasters. Can you? We're safe here in the Northeast, but can you imagine if we had lived in Alabama or Mississippi when all those tornadoes blew through? Or if we'd lived in Japan during the earthquake? It's hard to be content when you're living through those kind of disastrous things. We've had a hard time understanding what God's providence is during tragedies. In spite of that, we must hold on to God's sovereignty as we process what has happened with these world disasters. One pastor puts it this way. God is in charge of all the details of life, the good and the bad, the positive and the negative. And he has ordained not only what happens to us, but when it happens, how it happens, where it happens, what happens before it happens, and what happens after pretty profound, isn't it? He has numbered the hairs on our head, and in some of our cases, the lack of hairs on our head. It's a little bit easier for him to count those, isn't it? But God is in control. God's in control of our lives. It's not that we're puppets. He lets us make our decisions. We have our free will, but he knows what path we're going to choose before we choose it. If you're struggling with being content today, it may well be because you are not allowing God to be God. He's in charge, and he's working all things together according to the counsel of his divine will. Romans 8.28, love this verse. And we know that all, in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I admit that it's hard for me to wrap my head around God, what, what God is going and doing, going to do, take a tsunami or a tornado and make something good come from it, but he does. I'm touched by the stories of how people dig down deep and help their fellow man during these tragedies. I'm amazed by that. That's just one way God makes good things come from tragedy. If cultivate is serious about learning to be content, we must believe this. Some verses here from, that I just think were very appropriate. Proverbs 16:9. In his heart a man plans his course but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 16.33 attests to God's sovereignty in all things. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Hold on to the truth of Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he is our shepherd, he will satisfy us. And Psalms 145.16. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. All those verses say the same thing. God is in control. He's going to take care of us. 
Friends, as bad, things, as bad as things get, as disappointed as you might be, let's not question the truth of God is in control. Some of you are not experiencing contentment simply because you're looking in other places for that which God, only God can provide. Proverbs 10.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. The one rests content, untouched by trouble. In Isaiah 55.2, God wonders why we don't come to him for contentment while we persist in pursuing those things that were never designed to satisfy. Why spend money on what is not bread and you and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. I love that. Possessions don't satisfy and ultimately people can't provide what we're looking for either. God is in control. All right, so we just went through course 101. And we're now going to be taking a look at Contentment Course 201. Giving giving to others brings contentment. Let's look at verse 10. That at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul had founded the Philippian church about 12 years prior to the writing of this letter. And it had been about 10 years since they were able to give him any support. The phrase at last doesn't refer to impatience on Paul's part, but rather that after this many years, they're they're now able to give to him again. Responding to the money that they had just sent along with Epaphroditus, Paul expresses gratefulness. The word renewed was used of plants and flowers blossoming again. Paul feels honored that they are thinking of him and that they cared enough to send a gift to him. Since we've started, started... named Cultivate, I've been amazed at the number of passages in God's word that refer to all agriculture and planting, haven't you? That word renewed really talks about plants and flowers blooming and blossoming. And we too can be renewed every morning by remembering that our contentment comes not in getting, but in giving. Pearl Buck is an American author that spent much of her life in China. She was a missionary's child in China. And she became one of our renowned authors of the 20th century. And there's a story that she wrote called Christmas Day in the Morning. And I'm just going to tell you a brief little part of this plot. It, It starts in the present. Two elderly people, all their children have grown. He gets up one morning and all the magic of Christmas is just gone. And uh, it's the middle of the night, and all of a sudden he looks out and he sees a star, and the star makes him flash back in time to when he was a teenager, the oldest of a bunch of children. He lived on a farm with his dad and and mother and, and siblings. He was the oldest, and one of his chores was that he had to get up every morning and go out and help dad do the family chores, especially the milking. But they would, you know, do the milking, give feed to the cows, collect the chicken eggs, you know, all the things that you do uh, that a farmer has to do with his livestock. And Christmas was coming up, and he, um, and one morning, he was lounging in bed. His dad had called him to come down and help. He said, come on, it's time to go down and milk the cows. And he went, okay, Dad. And he said, I'm going to go down and get started. You come along when you get a chance. And he just laid in bed instead. But he could hear his parents talking downstairs. And he, they said, did you get Jimmy up? And the dad said, yeah, I woke him up, but I sure did hate to. The mother said, why? He's old enough to be out there doing his part in this farm. She, he said, yeah, I know. But he was sleeping so sound. I just hated to wake him. And all of a sudden, something awoke in Jimmy. Love awoke in him. All of a sudden, he realized that his parents, his dad, really loved him for the first time in his life. He just realized how much his dad loved him. And and Christmas was coming up, and he wanted to give his dad something special. And and the tie that he had gotten at the local Woolworths just wasn't going to do the trick. And so he started brainstorming, what can I do that will be a special gift to my father? And then the light bulb came on. His dad never gets to see Christmas morning. He's always out doing the the chores, milking the cows, feeding the livestock, gathering the eggs. And by the time Dad walks in, the 
kids are already up and they've opened all their presents and all the joy of Christmas morning is pretty much over because he had to work. So he gets this brilliant idea that he is going to wake up earlier than ever before and he's going to sneak out and do all the chores and get them all done before his dad wakes up. So the morning comes. He cannot sleep at all. He is so geared up and the clock is just slowly ticking by. And finally, 2 o'clock hits, and he gets up and gets dressed. And he sneaks downstairs, tries to miss the creaking steps as he makes his way down the stairs, doesn't slam the back door as he goes out like is his normal routine. And he sneaks out to the barn. The cows were a little surprised that he was there so early, (laughs) but they seemed to think that there was something special going on, and so they acquiesced. He did all the milking, put it into the ice house, gathered up all the eggs, threw down feed for all the animals, and he sneaked back up into bed just before 4 o'clock as he heard his dad rustling in the room down the hall. He dove back into bed, pulled the covers up over his head, pretended that he was sleeping. His dad walked in and said, Hey, Jimmy, come on, I know it's Christmas, but we got to get up and do the chores. He said, Okay, Dad, he faked. He said, I'm going to get started. You, You come along when you're ready. Okay, Dad, he faked. Then he's laid there in bed. And he wished that he could be a fly on the wall as his dad made his way out to the barn and sat down to milk the first cow, and there was nothing there. It seemed like it was forever long, and all of a sudden he heard the back door open and slam shut. He felt his dad's, he could hear his dad's steps, feet on the steps, and then he comes crashing through his son's room and says, you little son of a gun, and he reached out for him, was tickling him and hugging him, And he said, you know, Jimmy, no one's ever given me a nicer gift. These were Jimmy's words back. Dad, you love me so much. I just wanted to give a little bit back. What can we give back that's going to make us find contentment like Jimmy did? See, Jimmy found contentment not in getting something on Christmas morning, but in what? Giving. And that's what the Philippian church has discovered is that they're giving to Paul, not because Paul's demanding it and expecting it, but because out of the contentment of their hearts, they want to give to other people. We've found that a little bit here at at Cultivate, haven't we? We're starting to catch on to that fever, and we're finding it. And, And Paul is congratulating them on learning this step in learning to be content. There's just a lot of joy in giving, isn't there? I love to give surprises. I love to give people gifts that they don't they aren't expecting. I love to see the joy in their eyes when they get something special. Isn't that a special thing? And we can find that here. What can we give here at Cultivate so that we can start learning to put this one in our arsenal of, of, of tools of learning to be content? Well, we can give our time. Folks, we're a new church plant. We, are, we didn't rise from the ashes of discovery. We're a new church plant, okay? And we need to give our time. We can't just do what we've always done at these beginning stages of our new work here. We've got to give our time. Maybe you can give some of your talent. Maybe you have some special gifts that nobody else has here, and, and you could give some of your talent. Or maybe you can give some of your treasures. Maybe you you are able to give a little bit more financially to help us uh, with some things here. Whatever it is, there's something you can give to cultivate that's going to help your brothers and sisters, but ultimately the people in this surrounding area. Notice how content Paul is with these Christians in Philippi, though. He got them some slack, mentioning that they were always concerned, but just had no opportunity to express it until now. How could Paul do this? It goes back to the lessons he learned in Contentment 101. He trusted in God, would order all the circumstances in his favor so his needs would be met. Knowing this truth kept him from anger towards others. It also gave him the freedom not to manipulate the masses just to get money from them. He's well aware when God gives the opportunity, we should respond to it. And that's what the Philippian church learned here. That's what we can learn. When the opportunity presents itself, we should be ready to respond. Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. 
Some of us are way too tough on other people. We expect them to meet our needs, and when they don't do everything we expect because they can't, we get a little upset and become more discontent. We're used to having our needs met, and it leads to selfishness. Selfishness is the polar opposite to contentment. You can never be content if you have a selfish spirit. Giving to others is better than receiving. God has given us so much, it's time for us to give a little bit back. And we will find contentment in that act of giving. This leads us to our third course in our curriculum, content, our content, contentment curriculum. Contentment course 301. So first we've looked at God is in control. Giving is better than receiving. Contentment course number 301, learning to be satisfied in every situation. Look at verses 11 and 12. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How could Paul say that he was content whatever the circumstances? It's because he knew, as we should as well, the circumstances are always changing. Life is all about change. If we expect everything to stay the same, we will be disappointed and discontent. Paul not only recognized that circumstances are unstable, he was also able to see through or beyond what had happened to God's sovereign purposes. Simply put, he was content because he could see life from God's point of view, focusing on what he should do, not what he felt or should have. In other words, in plenty or in poverty. God was still in control and was weaving his ways through both of these conditions. Paul chose to be content in any and every situation. This is a sweeping statement that covers every condition of life. He uses three pairs of extremes in these passages that I want to put up on the screen for you to look at. In need or in plenty. Those are extremes, aren't they? Sometimes we're going to be in need. Sometimes we're going to have plenty. Well-fed or hungry. Most of us as Americans don't know the hungry part. We don't. Take a look at There you go, Ken. We don't know the hungry part. But you know that there are a lot of folks in this world, and even in our country, that go to bed hungry. They go to bed hungry. Plenty or want. He uses these three extremes. You notice that? Those opposites. And here's the key thing. The word to learn literally means to discover by experience. Paul could write those three things because he had what? He'd experienced them. He had lived through it. To enter into this, but to learn means to discover by experience or enter into a new condition. We could probably translate this scripture better by saying, I have come to learn to be content, whatever the circumstances. That's probably a better translation. I have come to learn. Well, perhaps we can learn a few things here for ourselves. Maybe we need to learn to be content with these four things. Maybe we need to be satisfied with our salary. That's really hard for Americans, isn't it? It seems like we're never satisfied with our salary. We're always trying to improve our salary. Maybe we need to better better say it this way, that we need to live within our means. That is not the American way, is it? We love to live beyond our means. Maybe we need to learn to live within our means. Maybe that'll help us. There's a video um, clip that we're going to look at now from the movie Cool Runnings. Do you remember that that movie where the Jamaicans decided that they were going to uh, be bobsledders? And there's a a clip here that we're going to look at where John Candy was their coach, okay? And... Partway through the movie, they discover that not only had he won some gold medals, but he won them deceitfully. They found out that he cheated. He made the he weighted down the sled so that it would go faster down the ice. And his Jamaican athletes find this out, and they question him about it. And his statement is really where I want to go. 
And let's watch this clip. Race, you in here? Hey, coach. Oh, there you are. How you feeling? All right. Good, good. You all set to follow in your father's footsteps? I think so. You think so? All right. I know so. That's more like it. We're going to go grab a bite to eat. You want to join us? No. I didn't think so. I'll pick you something up. Hey, coach. Yeah? I have to ask you a question. Sure. But you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I mean, I want you to, but if you can't, I understand. You want to know why I cheated, right? Yes, I do. That's a fair question. It's quite simple, really. I had to win. You see, Therese, I've made winning my whole life. And when you make winning your whole life, you have to keep on winning, no matter what. You understand that? No, I don't understand, coach. You had two gold medals. You had it all. Therese, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Hey, coach. How will I know if I'm enough? When you cross that finish line, you'll know. Pretty powerful statement he had there. If you're not happy without a gold medal, you won't be happy with it either. Jesus said it best in Luke 12, 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you're not happy without something, you won't be happy with it either. Or as someone once said, if you can't be happy with what you already have, why should God trust you with anything else? Be thankful for the basics of life. This is something else that we can do to, uh, to, learn, to come to learn how we can learn to, to be content. Be thankful for the basics of life. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That's 1 Timothy 6.8. There was a friend of mine in college who came from a horrible home life. He never knew where his next meal was coming from growing up. We all complained about how bad the college cafeteria food was. But Tom never complained, and he never missed a meal. In college, he got three square meals a day, and he never got that when he was growing up. In fact, he told me that sometimes the only meal he ate was the free lunch he got in school from the federal free and reduced lunch program. Sometimes that was the only meal he got. During the summer, he would go without food for days at a time because there was no free and reduced lunch in the summertime. He would go for, without food for days at a time because he wasn't in school. He didn't get a meal. And he never complained about the college food. He was thankful and content with what he received. He was happy with the basics of life, even if it was not the quality that the rest of his friends wanted. He was content with it. Another thing that we can come to learn is that what we want, want what you have, even if you don't have everything you want. Want what you have, even if you don't have everything you want. I first heard this statement about 15 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. Let me say it differently. The key to contentment is not having everything you want, but wanting everything you have. This is stated clearly in Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Again, that's not a really good American thing. 
My nephews are probably the best example of this. They have to have whatever the newest game console is. They have to have it. Life will cease to exist if they don't have it. And then after they have had it a few months, they don't want it anymore. And I'm amazed because they go to GameStop and they sell everything that they had to have. They sell it back to GameStop so that they can get more. They don't want everything that they have. They want what they don't have. Finally, the, the last thing is to grow in godliness. This is something we can learn. To grow in godliness, you have to become content. If we're going to really grow, we've got to grow in contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what 1 Timothy 6, 6 says. We should be content with God-given circumstances, but never satisfy with our spiritual growth. Unfortunately, our tendency is to do just the opposite. Many of us are content with where we are spiritually and very discontent with our circumstances when it should be the opposite. We should be content with our circumstances and never be satisfied where we are spiritually. Tough times teach us what we really matters and what we really need. Let me remind you of some of Paul's circumstances. 1 Corinthians 4.11. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. What he went through makes my misery seem like a walk in the park. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11.27. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And yet somehow... He could say in 2 Corinthians 6.10, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. What was he talking about? He was talking about, I have nothing physically, but I'm growing spiritually. I have everything. Contentment does not emerge out of what we do. It grows up out of what we have gone through. We see this in 2 Corinthians 12.10. This is from the New Living Translation. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I am quite content with my weaknesses and with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was a contented Christian, are you? Our deepest satisfaction can only come from God, not from a change in our circumstances. C.S. Lewis said it best. God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. We can't find peace and contentment minus God. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. It's not there. I talked to someone this week who told me that one of his parents is never happy. In fact, he, will never rem- he never remembers his parents ever being satisfied. Nothing was never enough. Well, that's a sad commentary and a poor legacy to leave to a child. If you're a parent, give a gift of contentment to your kids, letting them know that it's really okay to have less and want less. Often less is really more. Paul says that. The Bible says that. Finally, that leads us to our fourth course in contentment. We've looked at God is in control. We've looked at giving is better than receiving. We've looked at the third one, which is, um, I can't read it from back here, Uh, being satisfied with what we have. And our fourth one now is finding strength in Christ. That's our fourth course in contentment. Fourth offering in Paul's contentment curriculum must be completed in order to graduate this curriculum. Philippians 4.13 may be one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, and it might be also the most misused. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Sometimes this scripture is used almost like a magical incantation, like a Harry Potter thing, okay? To say that whatever we want to do, uh, we can do whatever we want to do. This passage is not promoting positive mental attitude or selfish name-it-and-claim-it theology. In the context, the meaning is this. I can be content in whatever circumstance because of the strengthening work of Christ in my life. Or we could say it this way. I will only be content if Christ gives me the strength to do so. A literal translation would read, I am strong for all things in the one who constantly infuses strength into me. The Message Bible states it like this. 
I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. It's my favorite. I love that. We're content because Christ has brought us contentment. Remember the promise of Isaiah in 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We can do everything and be content in all things. Because of this, of Christ, I can endure all that happens on the outside because I'm strengthened by Christ on the inside. Notice the balance part of my part and God's part. I can do everything. This doesn't necessarily mean that I will get an A in Algebra 2. Probably still wouldn't. Motivational speakers often say things like this. You can do whatever you put your mind to. Just believe in yourself. Well, that's contrary to what the Bible says. This verse does not mean we can be successful or content on our own, but we need to be engaged. Through him shows us the source of our power. But we can be content only through Christ. The same truth is stated in the negative in John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no trouble or problem or difficulty that we cannot overcome by the sustaining power of Christ. This verse does not promise that you can do anything you want, but it does promise that you can do everything that God wants you to do. It's powerful. So that's our four courses in in contentment. But as an educator, I have to give a homework assignment. Okay? I've discovered that homework has three purposes. To practice a skill that we recently learned. Maybe you learned a few today that you need to practice. Or maybe it needs to prepare you for learning that's to come. Maybe now that you know about contentment, there's going to be some things that happen in your life that you've got to be now prepared for. Okay? And sometimes it's to enrich and strengthen learning that we've already mastered. So I think today's coursework that we've done probably fits all three of those homework things. Okay? Maybe you've mastered some contentment, and today you got some enrichment from it. Or maybe there's some troubles coming down the pike here for you, and you've got to prepare yourself. Or maybe you just need to practice a little bit of contentment. When I was a, an advisor at Camden County College, a lot of times students would come in and they needed remedial math work before they could go into college courses. So maybe you need some remedial work and contentment. You need to practice it. There's a class that you and I have to pass before we will ever be content. The only way to pass is to admit that you failed, and then you must take the grade of another who sat in for you and aced the exam. His name's Jesus. God made him who had no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you ready to receive perfect marks? His perfect marks? Do you want them to be credited to your report card? I do. Well, every good curriculum involves homework. What grade for contentment did you give yourself at the beginning? Do you remember? Do you want your grade to go up? Here's an assignment to help you improve your CPA, your contentment point average. Number one, when something bad happens this week, I want you to say aloud, God, since you're in control, I will be content. That comes from our course in Contentment 101, Knowing God's in Control. Second thing, when you're focusing on yourself this week, remember to give of yourself instead. That would be Contentment 201, realizing that giving is better than receiving. Giving brings contentment. And number three, confess your self-sufficiency and turn over every part of your life over to the Lord. That would be Contentment 301, learning to be satisfied in every situation. And finally, step out in faith and do what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. Relying on his power to do so, and that's contentment 401, finding strength in Christ. I don't know if you noticed it, but I, uh, when I made the four points today, I started with verbs. Knowing, realizing, learning, and finding. And in education, those are all called Bloom's taxonomy verbs. They're action verbs that we want students to be able to have mastered before they walk out of the classroom, out of that lesson, okay? I gave you four Bloom's verbs today. These are action verbs. 
And they fit perfectly with this lesson, that it's a curriculum, that it's something we've got to learn to master. Okay? I'd like to conclude, and I'd like to say that it's not impossible. Paul did it. He was human. He wasn't a superhuman Christian. He was a Christian, and he just got it. He understood it. He, he wasn't, he's not Jesus. He, wasn't, he didn't lead a perfect life. He was just like you and me, but he got it. He learned to be content. He learned it. We can learn it too. It's not impossible. I'd like to conclude our message by reading from the Message Bible this passage that we focused on, these four verses. I just love the way the Message Bible says things. It just sort of speaks to me, and I just think it's a great way to end this lesson. I'm glad in God far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing. You came alongside me. Father, I pray that, uh, that we can learn here, cultivate, to grab on to contentment. That we need to learn to be satisfied in you. That we need to learn to be satisfied in giving. That we need to learn to be satisfied that you're in control. That we need to learn to be satisfied in every situation. And that we need to find that contentment and that satisfaction in you who gives us strength. Father, be with us as we continue to try to shine your light in this community here at Cultivate and help us to grab hold of your curriculum of contentment that you presented to us this morning. Praise you.